Section 20 of Vagabond Adventures. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Vagabond Adventures by Ralph Keeler. Book Two. Three Years as a Negro Minstrel. Chapter 10. Adieu to the Stage. Going up the Mississippi from Cairo, we passed one Sunday the old French town of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and its Roman Catholic college on the river bank. The boys were out on the lawn under the trees, and I became as envious of their lot as ever I had been before of a man who worked on a steamboat or who danced in the minstrels. I suddenly resolved that I would go to that college. We did not stop at Cape Girardeau till our return down the river some weeks afterward. Then I went boldly up and sought an interview with the president of the institution. I found him to be a kindly-mannered priest who encouraged me in my ambition. He told me it would be well to save up more money than I then had, and that he would do all he could for me. I returned to the palace and immediately gave warning that I proposed to leave as soon as someone could be got to fill my place. It struck me as somewhat odd that it was six months from that date before I could get away. It has been explained to me since. The fact is, I received what, as a boy, I thought a good salary but nothing like what I earned. It took two men afterwards to fill my place. I have been told since that, more than a year before that time and prior to this last engagement, the late E. P. Christie had written for me from New York, but that the letter had been intercepted by those whose interest it then was that I should not know my own value in the profession. I used to see that my name was larger than almost any other on the bills, but was led to believe that it was because I was a boy, and not likely to excite the jealousy of the other members of the company. It may not be very soothing to my vanity, but, dwelling upon these things dispassionately, I have my honest doubts now whether I was not always a greater success as an advertisement than as a performer. I was promised at New Orleans that, if I would go over to Galveston, Texas, with the minstrel troupe, I should certainly be allowed to retire from public life. So we left the palace and the Raymond at the levee of the former city, and took passage in the regular steamship, crossing the gulf to Galveston. We performed there two or three weeks with great success. Few minstrels then had wandered that way, and thus it happened that my farewell appearance as a dancer was greeted with a crowded house. Except as a poor lecturer, I have never been on the stage since I left Galveston. Still resolved to go to college at Cape Girardeau, I returned to New Orleans and took passage to Cairo on the steamer L. M. Kennett. Barney Williams and his wife were on board during the tedious voyage, but I suppose they have long since forgotten all about the urchin who surprised and bored them with his minute knowledge of the early history of the country through which we passed. The river above Cairo, very much to my sorrow, was frozen over, for it was midwinter. There was no alternative for me but to proceed to Cape Girardeau by land, a long, difficult, and expensive journey in those times. After a great deal of trouble and some danger, I arrived at the gates of the college and proceeded directly to the room of the President. The kindly face that I remembered so well again beamed upon me as I stood before him and said that I had come to stay a year at least at his school. At his good-natured question as to how much money I had, 
I emptied my pocket of just thirty-five dollars in gold. That was the sum to which the unforeseen expenses of my long journey had reduced me. The President, being aware that the river was frozen, so that I could not get away, even if I had had money enough to go with, and having much greater discretionary power than the presidents of our Protestant colleges, told me that I might stay. At the end of my year the river was again frozen, and the good president was again prevailed upon to keep me till the close of that college term, which would be in the middle of the ensuing summer. So I was, for sixteen months in all, a student in St. Vincent's College. Most of the students were the sons of French planters of Louisiana, and the institution was more French than English. Things were ordered very much as they are in the religious houses of Europe. We slept in large dormitories, and ate in a refectory, someone reading aloud the while from an English or French book. The college had its own tailors and shoemakers, and by the favor of the president, who seemed to take a great liking to me, my credit was made good for anything I wanted, and I was provided for as well as the richest of them. The instructors were all priests, and generally good men. They never required me to change my religion or to conform more than externally to their worship. I applied myself so zealously to study that, at the expiration of my sixteen months, I was nearly prepared to enter Kenyon College, in which I spent the next four years. The president of St. Vincent's, Father Stephen V. Ryan, has since met the recognition which his piety and abilities so justly deserved. He is now the venerable Roman Catholic Bishop of Buffalo, and it is with no little pride that I still class him among my most valued and constant friends. When I came to leave St. Vincent's, I drew out a deposit which I had in a bank in Toledo, and gave it into the hands of the college treasurer, reserving for myself only what I thought would be enough to take me back to Ohio. As good luck would have it, the little steamer Banjo, a showboat belonging to Dr. Spaulding, the manager of the floating palace, was advertised to be at Cape Girardeau the week in which I proposed to leave there. Seeing the names of some of my old comrades on the bills, I waited to meet them. They generously made me bring my trunk on board and have a free ride to St. Louis, or, if I chose, to Alton, where I was to take the cars for Chicago. The remembrance of this trip up the river with these jovial, reckless souls has made it my duty always to defend my old associates when I hear the censure heaped on them by inconsiderate ignorance or blind prejudice, and I take my final leave of the show business and of show people in no better way, I think, than in relating an incident which occurred on this little steamer. On the afternoon before our arrival at Alton, as I was sitting on the deck by the side of one of the performers, Mr. Edwin Davis, who had been a member of our company on the floating palace, he asked me to let him see my money, adding that I might have had imposed upon me some of the wildcat bills then afloat. Taking out all I had, I placed it in his hands. He counted it, and scrutinized it thoroughly, and folding it up carefully, returned it to me with the remark that my bills were all good. I had no occasion to use my money till I came to pay my railway fare at Alton, when I discovered that my wealth had increased by nearly half. 
he had indeed been a better judge than myself of my necessities for with his generous addition i had barely enough to take me to my destination i met mr davis in new york years afterward and offered him the sum he had added to mine but could not prevail upon him to take it and this is the way he stated his reason no it does not belong to me keep it you till you see some poor fellow as much in need of it as you were then on the mississippi and give it to him end of chapter ten adieu to the stage